Uh, g'day, my name is Adam Draycott, and uh, you're watching the online ministry from St. Augustine's Anglican Church here in Inverell. Uh, welcome uh, to uh, this time together. This has been prepared for the 5th of June, which happens to be Pentecost Sunday. And our sentence of scripture comes from Romans chapter 5, verse 5. Uh, God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. What an amazing promise that is. Let's spend some time in praise in response to this marvellous truth. Let us pray. God our Father, 
Let the Spirit you sent on your church to begin the teaching of the gospel continue to work in the world through the hearts of all who believe. We ask this through our Lord Jesus Christ, your Son, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God forever and ever. Amen. As we come to the ministry of God's Word, our preaching passage is Ecclesiastes chapter 3. We're going to chew off the whole chapter uh, today. Our psalm is Psalm 139. If you're reading that in church, uh, you might like to abridge that uh, and make it, say, verses uh, 1 to... One to twelve or one to eighteen would work as well. And our gospel reading comes from John chapter fourteen, verses one to six. Let me pray. Father God, we thank you that we can gather, um, that we can fellowship uh, in this way. We thank you that you speak to us through your word, and we ask that uh, your spirit would be at work showing us the glory and wonder that is your son Jesus. Uh, Grow in us a deeper faith in your promises and a deeper trust in the life and work and resurrection of your son Jesus. And uh, we ask this to your glory and praise, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. What comes next? We live, we die, then what? What follows? Uh, Anthony Albanese had just become Prime Minister. He's on Channel 9 and he's reminding us again that he's a child of a single mother and that he grew up in public housing and now he's got a new title. And Carl Stefanovic says, I just can't imagine the emotions there. Then he says, also, your mum, looking down. I would imagine that would have been something you thought of as well. Now, there's a leading question. (laughs) The PM immediately responds, absolutely. When I touched down from Tokyo, it was the 20th anniversary of my mum's death. I travelled out to the cemetery to see her and to have a chat. Now... I want to say there's nothing particularly surprising or extraordinary about that little interchange. It's almost assumed these days that loved ones who have passed uh, are looking down somehow from above and even communicate through impulses and impressions and, and they're looking down. And as I heard Carl ask that, make that observation, which he's done many times before, I've heard him do it. Every time I just want to say to Carl, Carl, but how do you know? How do you know? I've also been told uh, those pastors are able to make it rain. Maybe you've heard that after a funeral. I certainly have. Uh, They made it rain because they knew 
we needed it. All the sunset that appeared the night before. And so those who have passed are now able to control the weather. It's and so it seems it's their job to keep watching us and to keep looking after us. And then I want to say, well, are we, if we think about this, are we really to believe that the dead are preoccupied with, with our life, with our life under the sun? Because if that is true, that doesn't sound like heaven to me. Grief is complex. And I don't want to sound insensitive or uncaring. Um, death is brutal. But honestly, I want to ask you, how on earth would Carl know? How would anybody know? We live, we die, what follows? Ask Carl. <laughs> or we could turn in our Bibles. Ecclesiastes chapter 3 is the passage. It starts with a poem. Maybe you recognise it from the song uh, Turn, Turn, Turn by the Birds, uh, made famous in the 60s. Uh, if you're old enough to remember, oh, of course I'm not, um, notice it's all about time. It's about the seasons, beginnings and ends. And the refreshing thing here is that the Bible is very honest about life and its cycles and its seasons, its ebbs, its flows, the good and the bad. And life is like this, you know, we wake up, we eat brekkie, we go to work, and then we work and work and work and we come home and maybe we've got to run the kids off to, to music or sport. We eat dinner, we go to bed, we wake up and the merry-go-round of life spins and spins and spins and it, it can have you a feeling like it's Groundhog Day if you've seen the movie. And you wonder, where, where is this all heading? What's all this for? In fact, that's verse 9, isn't it? What's it all for? What's to be gained from all of this work? Verse 10, I've seen the burden God has laid on the human race. And so this is life outside of the garden, under the curse. And the teacher is saying it's bewildering. Uh, he's been saying it all along doesn't make sense to me. Uh, verse 11, he's made everything beautiful in its time. So there is still beauty to behold. Birth, harvest, laughter, dancing. But it's beauty in its time. <laughs> and so it has parameters, this beauty. You know, what happens with beauty in time? Does time leave beauty behind? Yes, it does. On my wedding day, the minister said, good news, Adam and Tanya, you both look incredible. You both look fantastic, spectacular. Bad news. You'll never, ever again look as good as you do today. <laughs> Truth. <laughs> it's the tyranny of time. We are bound by its demands and its limits. Ask any father, a uh, farmer. Ask any farmer, they'll tell you, or any father for that matter. Happens uh, before church. We open the door to see who's coming up the path. It's time to ring the bell. What time is it? Yeah, we better ring the bell. And uh, 
just another reminder, time, as we see people scamper because the bell's ringing, time does not submit to us. Time awaits for nobody. Tick-tock, tick-tock, and you, so what? Sounds harsh, but uh, it's a taste of the enormity of creation we saw in chapter one, remember? Is there anyone bigger than the mountains or the sea? Nah, well, is there, see the enormity of time here in chapter three, that the sun will rise, rise and fall. Uh, but we're reminded, we've got, we're small in the scheme of things. We've got no say, no power, no influence, no control over any of that. It's all beyond us. None of us transcends time. None of us transcends creation. And every day is another day nearer to whatever is next. And that's the burden of what's being asked here. So what is next? What follows? Well, uh, second part of verse 11b, he has also set eternity in the human heart. God has put eternity in the human heart. God says there is more. You know there is more. How do you know there is more? Because God put that there. God put it there. Eternity. And then can you fathom it? No one can fathom what God has done from beginning to end. Uh, answer, no. No, you can't. Not really. See, how can the mortal comprehend that which is eternal? And so his comment there makes perfect sense. Humans try to fathom it, don't they? Maybe that's why there's so many religions. Lots of afterlife ideas about what follows, what's next, especially in the context here. Imagine all the Egyptian world view that they would have known about back in the day. And it's true, we have our own share as well. Lots of ideas, trying to figure out what follows, what's next. And so we just make it up, I reckon. But can the teacher, well, he says, well, you know, what does he do? When life is bewildering, uh, what does he do? He, he just reverts to the familiar, the immediate and the simple. He can't fathom it. And so he, verse 12, I know there's nothing better for people to be happy and to do good. All right, that's great. Or verse 13, uh, that each of them should eat and drink and find satisfaction in all their toil. This is a gift of God. Then let's, I don't know, so let's get back to basics. Do the right thing and um, uh, return to the basics of eating, drinking, work, and remember God is the giver. If life is confusing or vexing, stop, breathe, get back to the basics. And uh, as I read that, I go, wow, that's... I wonder if there's a pastoral cue there, a strong bit of pastoral advice that uh, needs to be dished out more often, because uh, so many of us are bewildered by life. But anyway, we continue, verse 14a, I know that everything God does will endure forever, so God has always had a plan, an everlasting plan. And at the end of verse 14, we're told God's plan is that people would fear him. Uh, why? Because he's the giver of eternity. And if he's the giver, not only of our basic needs, but eternity, then why wouldn't you? I think it's a logical outcome of that 
profound truth. Let me say it again. If God is the giver of our basic needs, if we're dependent on him, but also the giver of eternity, then why wouldn't you? If we live and die and ask what follows, we must see that whatever follows is connected to God and our relationship to him. So that begs the question, what's that like? How's your relationship with God? How's your relationship with God at the moment? Are you trusting him? Um, are you enjoying his goodness? Uh, he's he the source of peace and joy in your life. I hope he is. It's fitting then, as he reflects on God, then that the next thought he has relates to judgment. So at the end of verse 15, God will call the past to account. That is a comment about the future, God's judgment at the end. And so think if there's a God, if he is a good God, then surely this merry-go-round must stop. Remember the cycles, another year, another news cycle, another news cycle, another more news about corruption, more news about abuse or mistrust or war or poverty or protests or plague, another year of curse, another year of death. When does it end? It's got to end. And the teacher is confident that it will, that God will act and he will bring it to an end. Here is what is next. And the question then must be, as I've asked you about your relationship with God, are you ready for his judgment at the end of time? This need for end time justice continues in verse 16. I saw something else under the sun. So this is in this life, in this world, in the place of judgment. Wickedness was there in the place of justice. Wickedness was there. And so I said to myself, God will bring it into judgment. It's got to stop. Both the righteous and the wicked. There's a time for every activity, a time to judge every deed. It's coming. We live, we die. What's next? God's judgment. To be clear, as we think about God's judgment, remember, we don't judge God. God will judge me. And you, you can't get the order of things upside down in that regard. If you've got it upside down, I want to encourage you to repent and change your mind about that. And then you say, but Adam, I don't like all this talk about judgment. And I say, why? Let me ask you a question. Do you want evil and sin and wickedness to carry on and carry on and carry on? And do you want it to end? Do you want evil and sin and wickedness done away with forever? If the answer is yes, then that will require God's good and just judgment. And this is why God can promise one day a place, a time where there is no more weeping and no more crying or pain and no more death. Death will be done away with and the curse will be gone and the new creation welcomed in. And so it's a good thing. It's a hard thing, but it's a thoroughly good thing. That's why God is a good God. Still got issues with judgment, though? Well, this is where I say, if you still got issues with judgment, take it up with the Lord Jesus. No one talked about judgment. No one talked about hell, for that matter, more than Jesus did. 
Why? Because he doesn't want you to go there. Jesus doesn't want hell for us. Which is why we need the cross. Maybe this is why we don't like the judgment of God, because maybe as you listen to this talk, you're thinking, but I'm on the wrong side of it. Well, you can change that. Look again at the cross. See the cross and see that Jesus was forsaken, so we need never be. See that Jesus bore my sin on his shoulders. That's what he's done for you. His blood has washed away our guilt and shame and disgrace. It is gone. And so now I belong to Christ. Now I live in Christ. And when I die, I'll die in Christ. And what is next? Or well, whatever is next, I can know confidently that I'm tethered to Jesus Christ. That I belong to him. And because that is true, I will have peace with God. I'll stand in his grace. We can be welcomed into this brilliant future of whatever is next. This eternity. This yearning for more that we have, even now, that unsettles us. Well, maybe it's God's deliberate ploy to nudge us towards Jesus. To nudge us towards Jesus. Now, uh, death still nags the teacher. You can see that in verse 18. I also said to myself, as for humans, God tests them so that they may see that they are like the animals. Come on. How does he think we are like the animals? He doesn't say we are animals, all right? Important difference. But how does he think we are like the animals? Well, verse 19. Surely the fate of human beings is like that of the animals. The same fate awaits them both. What's that? Well, one dies, so the other dies. All of the same breath. Humans have no advantage over animals. Everything is but a breath. Meaningless. Bewildering. Vapour. Hard to grasp. All go to the same place. All come from dust and to dust all return. That's Genesis 3. You know, I read, I read Ecclesiastes and sometimes I think Genesis 1, 2 and 3 is open as he's writing this out or speaking it out. Uh, but anyway, who knows if the spirit, human spirit rises up and if the spirit of the animal goes down to the earth. So he doesn't know. So what does he do? He, he goes back to the temporal. So I saw that there is nothing better for a person than to enjoy their work because that is their lot. But who can bring them to see what will happen after them? Ah. I read these words. Remember, we're not animals. As humans, we are God's image bearers. Hold on to that truth. So what is the difference? Well, so far we've seen it is eternity. Animals, do they know about eternity? No, but we do. What about a relationship with God? Or what about judgment? He's drawn those things out for us, but is there more? He asks, because like the animals, we breathe and then we die. It's not like verse 22 that we can get someone to see what will happen after them, after they're gone. Need them to live, die, and then come back to give us the answer and tell us what is next. What is next? So who can? 
So who's to know what follows? Let me ask you again, who can bring them to see what will happen after them? Who's ever done that? Is it like anyone's ever come back from the dead to tell us? Is it? And you know the answer. You know the answer. You see that door? It's a great prop right now. That door, I want you to imagine that through that door, that is the doorway to death. And it grieves us because we live to see too many of our loved ones, time after time, they pass through the doorway of death and they're not coming back through. They go through the door never to return. And uh, it, it's, it grieves us. It's the point of great sadness. And time passes and more people go through it, never to return. And it's so final. Final. It is so final. And one day it might be my turn. It will be my, my, my turn unless the Lord comes back. But of course, we know there is someone in history who's done it. We know that there is someone in history that's gone through the door and he's come back. And as he comes back, he tells us what is next. And he tells us that death is a problem, but he's got it sorted. And he says, if you want to deal with the problem of death and all the rest of it, you've got to come through the door with me, Jesus says. You've got to let me do the work. You've got to let me deliver you and carry you. You won't taste death whilst I've got you. That even though you die, yet will you live. But you've got to trust me. See, Jesus, the cycle of life spins and Jesus comes along as the wheel is spinning and he puts a stake through it. He puts a post through it and it stops. The cycle stops and the curse unravels because death's power is done that third day. I mean, this is, I feel like I'm in Easter Sunday right now. Do you see the glory of the resurrection here? That the merry-go-round of life is on notice and that it will end and that sin really will be no more. Evil will be gone. Death will be banished. And all of this speaks to the glory and wonder that is our Lord Jesus Christ in his resurrection as death is destroyed. It all speaks to the goodness of God and it all speaks to the love of God that he loves us and knows our need and seeks to meet it through his son. It means for us that as a Christian, the good news is that this life under the sun that is bewildering, right? Well, the good news is this is as bad as it gets. There's more to come. But the flip side is that without Christ, this life under the sun, I'm sorry, but this is as good as it gets for you. This is all there is for you without Christ. Without Christ, this life under the sun, this is all there is. It's as good as it gets. And maybe this is why God has put eternity into each of our hearts. So that we would look back to the sun and find in him the answer and the hope that we are looking for. We live, we die. What follows? Eternity does, we've been told. God is what follows, we've been told. That we will all need to appear before him. 
And Jesus says, let me. Let me come with you as I die for you. Let me carry you. As you appear before God, let me vouch for you. And so we must see as we read Ecclesiastes 3, it is a massive mistake not to trust Jesus. If you are not trusting Jesus, you are making a big mistake. All these questions the teacher has, even at the end, do we see that Jesus holds the answers, that he is the way and that he is the truth and that he is the life? That no one comes before the Father except by him. Jesus says, don't, so don't let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My Father's house is great. It's got lots of space, plenty of rooms. And, you know, if that wasn't so... Well, I've told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, Jesus says, well, yeah, I'm going to come back and I will take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. Let me say it again. It is a big mistake not to trust Jesus. Ecclesiastes chapter 3 invites us to trust the sin-smashing destroyer of death. His name is Jesus and he's thoroughly good. So entrust yourself to him. Entrust yourself to the one who loves you and wants the absolute best for you. Amen.
brothers and sisters, I want to encourage you to take some time now uh, coming to God in prayer. Spend time uh, thanking Him. Make a list of things. Spend some time asking Him, petitioning, knocking on His door. Um, cry out to Him. Uh, whatever it takes, uh, we can rejoice in Ecclesiastes 3, that even though we live uh, uh, life under the sun is like this, that we know that there is more and that more comes through Jesus. And so we can ask God. We can thank Him for His promises. We can thank Him that He's dealt with our great need. But we can ask God to help us uh, to, to be spiritually resilient, to hold firm uh, to, the, to his promises and to keep looking to Jesus uh, for the hope of what is next. Uh, and it's in Jesus that we can hope for more and it's in Jesus he's preparing a place for us. It's the Father's house. And, um, and so we just ask God to grow our trust in him uh, uh, as he in his generosity uh, provides that for us, such as his love. Good things to be praying. I commend it to you. Uh, it's June. Our focus this month is on the work of CMS. Uh, please be praying uh, for that organisation as they send, train and equip and send missionaries uh, the world over proclaiming the good news of the gospel. So we commend the work of CMS to you. Also pray for our church family here at St Augustine's. Uh, we have got an AGM coming up, a parish council meeting on Monday night. Uh, pray for us as we manage our budget. Um, it has been a challenge and the next year is um, looking quite challenging. Uh, so we, we will be grateful for your prayers. Uh, pray for leaders, um, uh, godly, capable, gifted people to serve on parish council. That'd be terrific if you pray that for us. Uh, be very grateful. Uh, but above all else, make sure, don't not pray, make sure you pray. Let me close with a song, and then after that, we'll share the blessing. Heaven, we lift our voice to praise. We 
bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face towards you. And most of all, may the Lord grant you his peace. Amen.